0: amen and good morning we gather here because we believe that all around us God's at work that there's a good God who's working in your life and mine and we want to honor him we want to stand with him and we want to want to please him our sermon today will be from Ephesians chapter 2 but while you're turning in your Bibles there God's placed it on my heart um, just to pause for a moment and to stand with the Lord and just to have a moment of prayer together um, I, this, for me, is no political statement, has nothing to do with the political party, has nothing to do with any man or woman on the state and on the, in the world. I just want to stand with the Lord a minute and recognize that. Um, and you guys, if, you, if you're a guest, you don't know me, and you think, oh, he's one of those guys. If you're here every Sunday, you can turn to a guest and say, he's never done that before. First time I've ever seen him do that. I don't bring the news into our sanctuary often. Uh, I think it clutters our mind, but on Monday, um, legislators in New York passed legislation that breaks my heart and I think breaks the Lord's heart, and I just want us to stand with the Lord and ask for God's healing, Um, not just in New York. What happened in New York is what people feel everywhere. It's not their problem, it's our problem, but I just want to ask God's healing on us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I ask for your grace this morning. That our minds won't be scattered and divided as we approach your word. But Lord, that just in this moment, we could stand with you in your kingdom. God, we grieve as I believe your spirit is grieved. Not just for what legislators in any one state have chosen, but God, for sin around the world. For a lack of love for the unborn. And God, I pray a prayer of repentance for my brothers and my sisters. I stand as their substitute in their place this morning. God, and I repent to you. And I ask that your spirit would grant us healing. On the inside first, Lord, that you would heal our hurts and our wounds. God, that all mothers around the globe who've suffered in the past from the decision of an abortion, that you'd bring them healing. That you bring them gospel healing. That you bring hope and light into their heart. God, that you would be their defender. You'd rescue them and raise up a great testimony from their lips. But Father, for all those mothers that are wrestling today with pressure and fears from every side who stand alone, God, I ask that your spirit would become their comforter and their advocate, that you would raise up churches around them, healers and helpers around them. And God, I I pray for us as a populace, as a people, God, that you would show us what's in our hearts and our minds. And then your mercy, God, you would save us from our own pride. Lord, I pray that in the state of New York and around the world, that you would work beyond the laws that defy you. God, that your spirit would do a work that no legislator could undo. God, that you would start revival and hope and healing. And start with us, Lord, right here. We are full of sin of many kinds, and we confess it to you. But God, I just pray today for our our nation, for our world, and for our hearts. Lord, we stand with you, and we grieve. And we commit this situation into your care. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've been in a sermon series called More Than You Can Imagine. We're trying to discover God's design, God's will, God's plan for His churches. What I think we'll find in the book of Ephesians is that you came to the Lord looking for salvation, just looking for a final resting place. Basically, you didn't want to go to hell when you died. But what you're going to find is that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've been given so much more than just the forgiveness of your sins. That cross that was erected outside the walls of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it did more than just heal your sins and put your name in the Lamb's book of life. And today is a sermon that we get to explore the power of the cross of God. Have you ever imagined that the power of Jesus dying on the cross could unleash such healing that nations could come to peace with each other if they so chose in the power of the gospel? Have you considered for a moment that even in the face of all of our offenses and mistakes and foolishness, that it's the power of the gospel from the resurrection of Jesus Christ that could undo the racism that lives in our heart, that could level out what we see as classism? Do you believe That by dying on a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem, the Son of God offering Himself for us unleashed a power that could level the nations and allow us to let go of any selfish pride that caused us not to see that we stand with brothers and sisters in Nigeria and in North Korea persecuted for the gospel. Like I believe that I bring so much pride and selfishness to the table. Every morning when I wake up and breathe, I don't mean to, it's just my human condition. And I want to be cured of this. I want to be able to love my neighbor as I love myself. Listen, I want to be able to love my enemy. I want to be free from all the things that divide so that I can see every other human the way God sees them. I want to be there and I'm not. But what I'm learning is that I will never get there by anybody's good counsel, by my harder effort, by any 12 step plan, by anybody's advice, by anybody's system or method, or by a longer list of rules about how I should behave so that I could train my heart to do the right thing. I cannot make a dead heart alive. Only Christ could. And even now, only Christ can heal this heart until it reflects the image of God. I believe that the healing that we want so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves freely so that we can drop judgment and love our enemies is found only in God, only in the power of the Spirit. And what I want us to realize today in the text I'm going to read in Ephesians 2 is that in the Bible, Paul the Apostle taught that when Jesus died on the cross, he actually unleashed the power that would allow us to tear down the walls that divide us as humans like that the great peace that the church looks for the peace that our divided world needs is actually found in the cross not in the development of humanism not in just better health care or better laws or more laws but in Jesus I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 11 through 22, and then we'll share our text. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are called Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself As the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in His Spirit. Imagine, if you will, all believers, all believers around the globe, built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ into a holy temple that God's Spirit Himself will dwell Imagine not bricks and mortar, but breathing, living humans filled with the Spirit of God unleashed on their cities every Sunday, every first of the week for a week of missions. Imagine us, a holy temple, a place where God lived. Imagine us gathering in coffee shops and restaurants, on back decks and back porches. Imagine us on ball fields and classrooms assembling as a people Who are a place where God's Spirit lives. So that outsiders who come near us can sense the power inside us. So people from beyond us can recognize the Spirit of God among us. So people would begin to say what's different. So people could watch us healed, set free. No longer groping about to find our identity in each other or in possessions or in reputations set free on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, redefined in Christ, free to love our neighbor, free to love our enemy, free from the war of pride. The people could see us built in this household. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine, as Paul says, one humanity where we are in Christ, where all the dividing walls and the tensions that separate us are undone, and we are so strongly defined by Jesus Christ that we only see Two people groups in the entire world. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. And those who are in Christ are our sisters and brothers. Regardless of class or color or culture or race. Regardless of where they are in the globe. They are in Christ with us. They are our brothers, our sisters. Together we have access to God and are where His Spirit lives. Those who are not in Christ, they are our mission. They are for us to love and to seek and to save. Can you imagine if the world was that simple? Now you and I live in a time when we are divided on a thousand lines. You wrote, vote the wrong way one time, you differ with me in a Facebook post on one item out of ten, and you're no longer my tribe in today's tribal culture. It's a sad, affront. In this text, Paul talks about how the gospel and the power of the death of Jesus Christ should set believers free from this kind of division, should send us out with the ability to be healing in the world, light, and hope. And I just wonder if you want to be there. I do. So let's dive into this text. Paul talks in verse 14 about a dividing wall. He says this He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. I've got a couple of pictures of dividing walls. Dividing walls are barriers or something that's just as common as any place you go. You can see the barricades all up Highway 49 to keep you from there. Well, here I've got a picture of a barricade at a concert. I guess these are the folks that got the cheap tickets in the back. That would be me and all you folks who had the nice tickets in the chair backs up front. But more things than that serve as dividing walls. This is a wall that's erected between, between Tijuana and California in the U.S. today. It's not one that we're building now. It's one that's there keep going got lots of other examples of dividing walls you know what in the in the 19th century back during the 1800s we went to war and there was an imaginary dividing line the mason dixon line that set our country in half it was ideologically divisive as well as it might have been geographically divisive other dividing lines exist like the great wall of china wisely erected to keep attila the hun from coming in to conquer the nation other dividing walls exist (laughs) this you might recognize this is a figment for some of you from a history book for others of you this was real life this is a wall that was torn down in 1989 but erected in 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 1961 can anybody in the sanctuary identify this wall what is this wall it is the (laughs) yes Cassidy I told you the old people would know it When I was a kid, probably a seventh grader, I remember hearing that this wall came down. It was a big deal on the news. I had no idea why it was such a big deal on the news. It was a big deal because at that time, this physical barrier represented an ideological barrier, and it was inconceivable that we would ever cross over it. This barrier divided East Germany from West Germany, which, I mean, that's fine, let the Germans have it. But more than that, it represented the allies of the Soviet Union and communism to the East, from those for a free society in the West. That wall was as real and concrete as any wall on the planet, but it represented ideas of a greater weight than the rocks and iron that made it. Well, I remember President... Ronald Reagan went and presented a speech that has become one of the most famous speeches in American history. He went to Germany, and in this controversial speech, which didn't have great impact on the wall coming down, but it sure was inspirational, he said, and I bet you can help me finish this sentence, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's right. I'll read it to you. We welcome change and openness for we believe that freedom and security go together. That the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would make be unmistakable. That would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if... You seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. If you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Tear down this wall. And a few years later, after that June 12, 1987 speech, two years later, the wall was torn down. And what people thought was impossible Was possible. I wonder today if it is possible to tear down the dividing walls that we've erected between human and human. For some of you, the wall of pride that stands between you and a reconciliation with your father, your family, seems absolutely impossible to overcome. For some of you, the racism that you were born with seems so normalized that you're not sure that you would ever want to overcome it or if you could, if you tried. For some of you, the classism that you experience without even knowing, it's become a filter that you look through, you don't imagine, you don't know that you could ever tear down that wall. Or a thousand other dividing walls that separate us today, whether it's politics, religion, or ideologies, I have no idea, but you wonder if it's ever possible to stand simply in Christ. Could the dividing wall be torn down? Well, in Paul's day, in this text in Ephesians chapter 2, he does something that's really remarkable. In verse 14, when Paul says that Jesus in his flesh tore down the dividing wall of hostility, I think this is what he meant. So for the Jewish people, they understood the law of God, the Torah, as what defined them. They circumcised their children as a sign that they were part of Abraham's covenant. That was described to them in the Torah. They kept that. They kept themselves clean according to the Torah, to the law. They observed all the commands of God the best they could, even the minor ones, and they thought that that's what made them different than the Gentiles. They thought that this law had become a hedge, a wall around them that protected them. The idea was that as long as we stay in the wall, obey the commands, God will guard us and watch out for us. And there was some truth to that. There really is. But they allowed the ideas of the law To create inside themselves this sense of superiority, the idea that they were somehow better than others. This is a trap that religious people like me fall into all the time. You think that when you obey God's rules, you're somehow better than somebody else. We forget that we are saved by grace through faith, not works, so that no man would boast. We start to think that it's our good deeds and our good lifestyle that made God love us so much that he saved us. It's terrible theology, and it's probably the reason that we can't love our neighbors well. So for Paul in his day, the Torah, the law of God, the regulations and the rules, the things that made you clean or unclean, were what separated Jew and Gentile. A barrier, a protective hedge around them in some ways, well sure, but also a wall of division and hostility that made enemies of the outsiders. Have we done that? Do you do that? But this invisible wall of the law was best represented for Paul in a very physical, real wall, like the Berlin Wall. But this wall was in the Jewish temple. And I want to show it to you if you could imagine a footprint of the temple, if this entire space was the temple, which the temple complex, the entire thing was somewhere nearly 40 acres if you took the gardens and everything around and about it. But if you could imagine a large space that was the temple, you probably know this that the exterior courtyard was open to the nations, to the Gentiles. In fact, even in the Old Testament times, the Bible said that my house will be a house of prayer for the nations, Isaiah chapter 56 and 57. So the nations could come in, the Gentiles could come into the court of the Gentiles. But before they went into the court of the Israelites, where the Israelite men and women gathered, there was a dividing wall. I'll show you another picture so you can see sort of in more real life what this wall would have looked like. Do you see the red arrow pointing to the wall? This wall would have been about four and a half feet tall, says Josephus. There are 13 pillars around the exterior of this wall. And on these pillars, there'll be some signs that I'll tell you about in just a moment. But this wall literally divided the temple so that all the outsiders stayed on one side and the insiders on the other. Now, in the Jewish mind, the temple of God, the closer you move towards the Holy of Holies, the tall building in the back, the closer you move to God. You want access to God. The whole point of going to the temple was to be near to God. But a Gentile could only come some distance, far away. Now, this dividing wall had 13 pillars around it. And on the pillars, there was a sign with an inscription. I'd like to show it to you. Archaeologists discovered two of these signs so far. They look something like that. But what is written on them in Greek and Latin, to make sure nobody misunderstands, says exactly this. No stranger, foreigner. No foreigner is to enter within the valley of That means past this wall, around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. You know, I mean, I've seen signs in the pool that say swim at your own risk. You know, <laughs> this one's pretty explicit though, right? This one, it says, if a foreigner comes across this line you are personally responsible for your ensuing death now in their mind they take the holiness of god so seriously that they're not going to allow his courts to be defiled with a gentile getting too close now the problem is when i look in my old testament unless there's somebody here that has found something that i've missed when god described how he wanted the tabernacle built and I don't see God saying erect this wall. I think this was man's idea of a good way to make a safe hedge. It's interesting how we always make it more difficult than God did. But this physical wall for Paul represented the ideas of the separation between Jews and Gentiles. And nobody would ever be able to tear down this wall. Now the sad thing for me is that when Paul thought about the representation of how the Gentiles and the Jews were separated, how people were divided. The best representation, the most vivid description that he could find was inside the temple. And I'm sad to say, and, and I don't mean this to make us all feel bad. I mean this to make us double down so that in our lifetime, we'll see the spirit of God move. The sad thing for me is that still sometimes in the church is where we see the greatest division. I know that in the 1500s and the 1600s, at the birth of the Reformation, the response of the church was the Reformation and Counter-Reformation that let a lot of bloodshed. Catholics killed Protestants, Protestants killed Catholics, and we thought, hey, this is what we're going to do. I don't know that that is exactly the unity that Jesus died to achieve, was that denominations would begin killing each other because we interpreted Scripture differently. Do you? I don't. It saddens me. When the division that we expect to find in the dark is present in the light, when the division that we expect to find among the lost is present in the saved, this division should not, could not stand in Christ. And I'll show you in this passage why. So Paul says, tear down the dividing wall. Will you read with me again verse 14 through verse 18? And I want to show you how and why the cross of Jesus Christ undoes the division between Jew and Gentile and I think should be applied in our day to undo the division that separates you from your ability to love your neighbor. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, making peace. And in one body, To reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Some of you remember the story in the Gospels as Jesus sits on the cross and cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As His last drops of blood drip from His body, He gives His last breaths. As he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Inside the temple court, in the Holy of Holies, the scriptures recorded that the curtain, the veil that separated the inner temple from the outer temple, the Holy of Holies from the holy place, It was torn in two. The idea was that God lived in the holy place, that his spirit dwelt in the holy place. And if you wanted access to God, you came as near to it as you could. But in the Christian gospel, in the death of Jesus, the curtain was torn because the spirit left. No longer would a man need to access God through the holy of holies. No longer would anybody be distanced from God by a wall, real or pretend. From this day forward, the spirit of God grants everyone access to the father who comes through jesus christ when his body was broken and he died on a cross he gave us one means of coming to the father grace through faith and his spirit brings life and now you don't have to be jewish you can be gentile you don't have to be baptist you can be presbyterian but you cannot come to god through another way except christ yet if you are in christ You are filled with His grace, part of His family, a piece of His temple. And I think that we see division where God sees unity and demands it. Let's talk about this for just a second. How is it that the death of Jesus can undo racism? How is it that the death of Jesus can undo classism and sexism? How is it that the death of Jesus can allow us to see our brothers and sisters around the globe as brothers and sisters? How is it that the death of Jesus can undo my pride and allow me to love my neighbor? He says here in the text, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. When Jesus died on the cross, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 12, 13, and 14, when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. And therefore granted from his position the righteousness of God that the law worked to give you. He granted it freely to everybody that came to him by grace and faith. And so now there's no reason for a Jewish person to think that he is superior to a Gentile person. The law is null and void. You can work as hard as you want, but what we've learned is the law doesn't make you righteous. Rather, what makes you righteous is that in his flesh, Jesus Died a death, he did not have to die to give a life, he did not have to give, so that all of us could be set free and made righteous, not by good works of the law, but by grace through faith. And if we're all set free by grace, then we're all on one level footing. If we're all set free by grace, then we're all God's sons and daughters in the same way. We have the same boast to make that we have a generous Savior. We're in Christ. In his flesh, he undid the law. When he undid the law, the Jew no longer had a reason to believe he was better than his brother. He no longer had an opportunity or a motivation to look down his nose at a lesser, because there were no lessers. With the law undone, when we showed you that righteousness was a gift from God, suddenly, every man, every woman, regardless of their station, if they are in Christ, they've received the same grace that you've received. Saved by the same Savior you've been saved by. Their merit leveraged the same zero as yours. They have the same boast, the same hope. How is it that the death of Jesus outside the walls of Jerusalem can bring peace and unity? It would be that if we opened our eyes to recognize that all of us sinners have all been saved by grace and our response should be gratitude and thankfulness if we could rightly see what Jesus has set each one of us free from, I mean the cleanest and most noble, the most upright of the deacons, if we could see what God has set us free from, then our hearts would be overwhelmed with gratitude and we would be no more tempted to have a superiority complex to any man, woman, or child. Rather, we as a grateful beggar would be thrilled to tell the next beggar where to find the bread of heaven. In his death... Jesus leveled the playing field. He undid the law and our boast. I want you to recognize that the only hope you have for loving your neighbor is the cross of Jesus Christ, and here's why. From personal experience and from reading the scriptures, I've learned that the real problem, it's not in our laws and rules, it's in our hearts and minds. I've learned that the real problem we face is not that we lack enough enlightenment or education. It's that our hearts are prideful and sinful. You can re-educate us. You can enlighten us further. You can give us more laws to legislate our behavior, but you can't keep us from biting our lips, from gritting our teeth, and begrudgingly going through motions that we don't mean because you cannot transform a human heart. I tell you, the real win would not be that somebody could make me pretend to love my neighbor. It would be that God could let me really love my neighbor. The real win would not be that God could let me pretend to accept those from any station in life, but that I could, in truth, love them. The real win wouldn't be that I'd become a better hypocrite or that you could force my hand. It would be that from the wellspring of my heart, a change in new creation would flow and in the image of Jesus Christ, I could love as He loves. And there is no law that will achieve that. There are no rules that will make that happen. The real problem is the human heart, and therefore the only solution is the power of God working inside us. The death of the Messiah Jesus, the sending of His Holy Spirit, is the only hope we have. Why? Why? Why is it so important? That there's no division in the body of Christ. As I read this text, I see verse 19 through verse 22 when Paul describes us as a temple. When Paul says that the believers on earth are like a temple that God's Spirit dwells in. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that God wants to live in a house that's got walls all over it. I'm not sure that God wants to walk into His household, His sanctuary, and find a brick wall at every turn. Where He can't get from one room to the next. Imagine your household. Imagine if your house was filled with people that were bitter and angry. And the solution for every angry person was another locked door. Instead of a changed and repentant heart, it was a locked door, another wall. And imagine you are trying to make your way through that house when every room is locked and every kitchen has a hedge. This is mine and that's yours. There's tape on the floor. Don't cross it. Can you imagine walking through a house that's walking on eggshells with every breath, where there's anger at every turn, where there are brick walls and locked doors, and that is your palace in which you should dwell in delight? Absolutely not. When God walks through the temple that he's built through his redeemed hearts and souls, he deserves to walk in a temple that is undivided and loves one another. And I pray for the day that you look at a brother or a sister from any nation, from any land, from any race, from any color, from any church, from any background, who has faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and tear down the dividing walls. When you let the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ break down what Satan has erected. When you allow the power of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection to break down what our culture has built. To break down what your, your pride has piled up. So the first reason that I believe we've got to have unity is because God deserves a house that's not divided. The second reason is this. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, here in chapter 2, and even more strongly in chapter 4, the church is described as the body of Christ. Jesus walked this earth, and He taught, and He healed, and He raised the dead. He represented God here. He was God among us. He calmed nature and fed the hungry. And then when it was appointed as a sacrifice, He died in His flesh for us all. He was raised to give us life so that we can overcome the dead. But then, in his flesh, Christ ascended to be with the Father. Listen to me, the body of Christ had been our rescue, and now he's gone to the right hand of the Father. What will the earth do? What is the hope for the earth? And the answer was the body of Christ, reconstituted in God's people. In the Bible, you are the body of Christ. His hands, His feet, motivated by His mind. He is the head. His spirit leads us. We are the body of Christ on earth. We carry out His good deeds. We are the healers and the help. We bring the truth and the teaching. We care for the unloved and the lonely. We are the body of Christ. Not just Carterville, but all of God's churches. The body of Christ. And hear me say this. My God is no Frankenstein. It's an insult to His glory to think that His body could not get along well enough that we would disgrace Him with our own prejudice, pride, and disunity. I don't know that we stop to understand what an insult it is to the cross that Jesus would give the one life He had to give to make us His body and then we would offend His glory by refusing to love our neighbors. That Christ came to undo sin and pride but we would cling to it Willfully and erect dividing walls in His body. Christ is no Frankenstein. His body is pride, unified. And the third reason that I think the church has got to be unified, we've got to tear down the walls in our hearts that separate fathers from sons, families torn in half, churches splitting. The reason we've got to tear down these walls is because the mission of God cannot be compromised jesus died outside the walls of jerusalem so that he could save the sons and daughters of adam and eve so that he could redeem his children and our bickering and our arguments and the walls that we spend our energy building sometimes keep us from focusing on what should be our priority the glory of god and the salvation of his people we're so interested in what divides us or how we can argue or how we can fight or make my point or your point that we burn all of our energy in these walls or working around them when instead we should be on the mission of Jesus Christ church the body of Christ was broken for you and I pray that by the power he unleashed on that Christ on that cross It would never be broken again. That we wouldn't tear it asunder with our prejudice, pride, and preferences. It was broken once because it had to be broken on the cross, but it should never be broken again willfully by our pride and our choice to sin. By our willful decision to not love with great unity in the body of Christ. The Bible tells us in this text that it was his purpose in dying on the cross. To create for himself one new man. The Bible says one new anthropon. One new human. One new creation. This is the new creation applied corporately to us as a body. It was the will of God. Not to have Jews and Gentiles coming from a different angle. But to have one redeemed body of Christ for the glory of God. And I don't know about you. But for me. I haven't thought hard enough or long enough about how the cross of Jesus Christ undoes the sin that builds the walls that divides us. And I want to ask you today to reflect on the cross of Christ. Let's recognize that in the death of Jesus outside the wall of Jerusalem, He died so that he could undo sin once and for all, so that he could make you and me a new creation. And as a new creation, He commands us to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. And the only way we'll ever move from here to there is by the outpouring of God's Spirit. And that was only accomplished in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm asking is for a church, an entire church, this whole church, to recognize in Ephesians 2 that it is the will and the purpose of the God that we love and serve. That the dividing wall in the Jerusalem temple should have been torn down. And by the way, it was, but not until the Romans came through with their sledgehammers and torches... 10 years after the book of Ephesians. And I just wonder how many Christians tore down the dividing wall in their heart before the Romans tore down the dividing wall in the temple. And I want to ask you, regardless of legislation, laws, or rules, would the church allow Christ and His Spirit to tear down the dividing walls in your heart? So i wrap up the sermon with an unusual but simple invitation. If there's anybody here today who's lost, you're far from God, and you want to be saved, I'd love for you to be saved today. I want you where you are as we sing in just a moment, give your life to the Lord. Offer him an honest prayer where you give your future to him and confess Jesus as your Lord. Give him your sin. Ask for his salvation. I'll be at the front of the church, and I'd love for you to come down and share that with me so I can celebrate with you, so I can talk to you about baptism, about discipleship, about following Christ. But you can make that decision today. Second, I think there are tons of us in here that if you reflect honestly on your own heart, there are still dividing walls that are standing. And you know what they are. Your pride has built them. My pride has built mine. It scares you to even think about touching them, much less trying to tear them down. Your pride is screaming in your ear right now to warn you not to touch them. And I just ask you if you would obey God. God. And allow God's Spirit to undo the pride and the sin that's in our hearts. That keeps those walls up. Would you let the cross of Jesus Christ do its full work? Would you honor Jesus and give Him glory by showing Him one humanity in Christ? Today, if that's your desire, then I want to ask you to do your business with God as we sing in just a moment. Sit and pray. Don't stand and sing today. Sit and pray. The altars are open. I want to ask you to come and pray at the altars. If God moves you to come in front of the church, you don't have to speak. You don't have to share anything with anybody. But if God asks you to come and pray, come and pray. But let's let God have his full work in our souls. Will you bow your heads with me? As I pray, would you imagine that dividing wall, the one that Christ wants to tear down, the one that he wants to bring a sledgehammer to, Would you imagine it before Christ and join me in this prayer? Father God, I ask you that in your great power, you would do what seems impossible. That you would divide, that you would heal a divided nation. God, that you would tear down the walls that separate. That believers would be the first to feel the quickening of your spirit. That believers would be set free. That believers could love an enemy. God, I pray that you would allow Christians, your churches around the globe, to sense a movement of your spirit and beginning in this church, Lord, and beginning with every one of us, God, that you would show us these walls and in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would undo them and tear them down. God, I pray that you would change us, that you would make us new creation starting today. God, that you would do what seems impossible. We ask your blessings as we give over these walls for you to tear them down. In Jesus' name.